Appalachia. Nobody truly knows where the word comes from, yet everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Everything from mountaintop beauty and deep forest to meth heads and extreme prejudice. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet to the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed downright unbelievable and tormenting historical atrocities. They have lived through everything from hauntings to cryptic creatures that show up and wreak havoc on their homesteads. The worst creature, though, may be man himself. I, being born and raised in these Appalachian Mountains, know that nothing is beyond a pale of belief, no matter how fantastic it sounds. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has a long legacy of unending tales and adventures. Come with me as I take you on a fantastic journey through these mountains, where things are not always as they seem. I guarantee you it won't be anything like you expected. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Season 2 of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How you doing today, my good friends? Thank you again for swinging through today. I'm coming to you from a, just south of Chicago, Illinois. Yes, I'm on a business trip for my day job. That's why I ran a little late with the podcast this week. You know, I think all of us probably got up in the morning without putting so much thought into the fact that our time here on Earth may just be minutes from ending. Me, well... I get up at 5 in the morning usually, though a good bit slower than I used to. I get myself all situated, head on off to work. I think that many of us do just that every day, without so much as a thought coming home, of not coming home. Many of us have come across horrible accidents while en route to our destinations, only to be reminded of how fragile life can be. But we put that aside as a We go on about our business unwavering. After all, if we let fear of death keep us from doing things that we need to do, we wouldn't be living life, would we? We'd only be hiding somewhere waiting for death. So we press on with life. So come on in, set a spell, and let me tell you about a day that over a hundred people pressed on with life never expecting what would come their way that day. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On July 9th, 1918, at around 7 o'clock in the morning, the Grim Reaper stood by the train tracks and waited in an area known as Dutchman's Curve near Nashville, Tennessee. He waited there for the poor, unsuspecting folks who were going to give him their lives that day. You see, the Reaper knew something that none of us knew. He knew that his scythe would soon harvest a great number of folks that day, so he must have been anxious as he waited for the time to come, the time when two travelers would cross paths and leave death and devastation in their wakes. One of the travelers was a westbound train that had just pulled out of Nashville's Union Station, fully loaded with passengers and was heading for Memphis. At 7.07 a.m., train number four had departed Union Station in Nashville, bound for Memphis. The train pulled by a locomotive number 282 was a G8A class 10-wheeler built by Baldwin Locomotive Works. The train consisted of two male and baggage cars and six wooden passenger coaches. The engineer had been told that there would be an incoming train heading toward the Nashville station and he was ordered to wait on the double tracks until he received a green light indicating all was clear. The other traveler? Well, it was an eastbound train that had pulled out of Memphis station earlier and it too was fully loaded. Eastbound train number one pulled by locomotive 281 also was a G8 class 10 wheeler built by the same company and was the sister of the engine that was traveling in the other direction from Nashville to Memphis. Containing one baggage car, six wooden passenger coaches and two Pullman sleeping cars of steel construction. Train number one had departed McKenzie four hours earlier and passed Bellevue at 7.09 a.m. 35 minutes ahead of schedule. While train number four pulled onto a double track section the conductor delegated the responsibility of identifying number one to the remainder of the crew while collecting tickets the conductor mistook a sound of a passing switch engine with empty passenger cars as number one the crew either made the same error or were negligent in properly identifying the train as the number four began to roll off the double tracks, the tower operator assumed that they had identified the number one train and the green light was given to number four and the train proceeded toward Nashville. As number four approached the interlocking tower at Shops Junction, tower operator J.S. Johnston noticed a clear signal from the tower's train, order signals indicating all was clear. As he stopped to record the train in his logs, Mr. Johnson noticed that there was no entry showing that the opposing train number one had passed. Mr. Johnson reported to the dispatcher by telegraph, who telegraphed back, number four meets number one. There, can, there, can you please stop him? But how? At the time, there was no direct communication with the engineers on board either train. Only a warning whistle was used in emergencies. So the whistle was sounded, but number four was too far gone for anybody to hear it. By this time, number one train was bearing down on Dutchman's Curve. Both trains were moving at their top speeds of 60 miles an hour. Then a 
A moment of sheer terror overtook both engineers. The engineer of the number four train saw the other train coming around the bend, directly in his path and headed straight toward him. He pulled the emergency brake, but there just wasn't enough time. Our grim reapers grinned widened as there was no indication that the other engineer aboard number one saw anything at all. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The two trains slammed together at full speed in a sound that could be heard for miles around. The ground shook like an earthquake, and even the water of the nearby Richmond Creek was left trembling. The wooden cars crumbled into toothpick-sized shards, and what was left of them was hurled sideways and were left hanging over an embankment. One train had telescoped inside the other from the combined force of about 120 miles an hour. Telescoping, that meant that one train really actually inserted itself inside the other, leaving it to look much like the old-fashioned extended telescopes that the cowboys used to carry on the TV shows. Now, I can't imagine that level of disaster, even with all the rescue and treatment equipment we have today, it, let alone it happening before there was even any rescue squads to come to the aid of people. It had to be an unimaginable horror for these people. As many as 50,000 people took it upon themselves to come to the rescue and try to help and save survivors, search for loved ones, or simply stand in awe of the terrible tragedy, wondering what to do next. I'm sure that greatly upset our Grim Reaper, who was set on taking as many as he could take with him. Officially, 101 people were killed. Many of them victims. Victims were black laborers from Arkansas and Memphis who were coming to work at a gunpowder plant in Old Hickory outside Nashville. Of course, there were just as many leaving and heading in the other direction on their way home. It was, however, back in those days, much harder to track and identify people. There are unofficial accounts that say as many as 121 people died that day, and there are even others that... Uh, say that up to 171 were injured. The railroad's investigation that followed the train wreck cited human error, officially blaming the man who wasn't around to defend himself, which was the norm of the day, who was the engineer of the train number four, David Kennedy. All they had was speculation to support the theory that Mr. Kennedy mistook a switch engine hauling empty cars for number one train Mr. Kennedy was killed instantly in the wreck. A folded schedule was found underneath his body. The other engineer, William Floyd, was also killed. He was on his last run and was one day from his retirement. In its official report, the ICC, which is an interstate commerce commission, was harsh on the railroad. They reported that a combination of poor operating practices 
human error and lax enforcement of operating rules led to the train wreck. They also reported that the tower operator properly left his signal at the, of danger and that the conductor monitored the train's progress rather than entrusting it to the subordinate or had the crew inspected the train register at the SOPS junction like it was required, the accident would have, wouldn't have happened. The wreck did provide the impetus for the railroads to switch to an all-steel passenger car. And in the 1970s, songwriters Bobby Braddock and Rafe Van Hoy told the story of the train wreck in a song called The Great Nashville Railroad Disaster. The song was recorded by David Allen Coe in the 1980 album, I've Got Something to Say. Believe it or not, the locomotives involved in the wreck, number 281 and 282, were rebuilt in 1919 and continued in service throughout World War II until their retirement in 1947 and 48. The Dutchman's Curve Track is still in use today. The Nashville train wreck to this day is still the deadliest train accident in the history of the United States, leaving our grim reaper with a big ugly grin on his face. I hope you enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to follow. If you'd like even more episodes of both podcasts and access to the Deviant Report, which comes out as I collect enough stories to make it episode, consider becoming a subscriber for $1.99 a month, which can, includes extra episodes of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend, The Deviant Report, and World of Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Please join us on Facebook group at the Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend podcast where we can discuss anything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll be back real soon with another Appalachian Murder, Mystery, or Legend. I'll see you then.